We're going to be in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. That's on page 812 in your Bible. When you are done touching the basket, stand for the reading of God's word. When I'm done, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And you're going to respond, thanks be to God, because at this church, we are thankful for all God has provided us, especially his word that is ever true, never changing. So it's Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are loving of us, your children. We are sorry we don't come to you more often to ask you for your blessings, to seek your ways, and to knock on the doors of opportunity you place in front of us because you want the best for us. Teach us to come to you as our Heavenly Father and get our needs met and our problems dealt with by you alone. Be with us now as we hear your word through Pastor Kyle. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Melanie. All right, good morning, everybody. So uh, we are in Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible open, grab a Bible from around the room. If you're a guest with us and you would like to own a Bible and you don't own one, you can take one of the black hardback Bibles that we set around the room. You can take that home as a gift with you. We'd love to give you your first Bible. And Matthew is actually a great place to start. And we are going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' famous sermon recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so um, that's going to be on page 812. And so if you're a guest with us, welcome to church. I know church can be really weird sometimes. Like, for instance, uh, people gathering and just like singing together. And you're like, what, what is this about? Well, um, a few weeks ago, I was in Nashville for a conference, and we went to a hockey game, which was the best part of that trip. And after the team scored, uh, the, the whole crowd just started singing together. It was really cool. And, um, and so when it was a way for the community to share in the victory of what the players had done. And so when we sing as Christians, I don't know what's going on here. When we sing as Christians, that's what we're doing. We're sharing in the victory of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so don't be afraid to sing. Sing loudly and boldly because it's a way that we get to sing prayers to God and and share in the victory that he's done for us. And really, that's what this passage is getting at. The passage is getting at this idea that Jesus wants to give us good things. He wants to give us victory. I was talking with Taylor a handful of months ago. And he said something that has kind of been burned into my mind that I haven't been able to shake. And he said this, I want to experience the living God. I'm tired of this like, here, just hand me the handheld.
All right, there we go. All right, let's start over. Taylor said, I want to experience the living God. And uh, he said, I'm tired of this whole like show up to church, sit there, and then just kind of this empty ritual of religion. I read the Bible. I see God speaking to people. I see God doing massive things. That's what I want to experience. Don't you want to experience that? Isn't this something that we all want? Like, we don't want this just dead religion. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't want that for us either. And what he says in this passage that we just read is he says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You say, we, 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 we say we want to experience this living God, yet we don't ever come to God to ask. We don't ever got, come to God to pray. We don't seek him. We don't knock at his door expecting that he'll answer. And maybe one of the reasons that our religion is so dead is because we as a people aren't a praying people. And Jesus is calling us to be a praying people. So the big idea I think for the text here today is uh, simple. It's this, just ask. Ask. You want something from God? Ask. If you want to see the living God work? Ask. If you want to see God do revival and cause awakening in our city? Ask. That's all we got to do is ask. And so we're going to break it up into three sections. Uh, Jesus' command here, his motivation, and the result. So first of all, the command. He says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So when he's talking about this, he's talking about prayer. And And he describes prayer as three things. Asking, seeking, and knocking. And I think Jesus is picking up on something he knows that we all experience. Sometimes God seems very close, right? Like, so think about a child with a parent. A child wants something from the parent, the parent's in the room. And when the child wants something from the parent and the parent's in the room, what does the child do? Ask. They demand, actually. Ask. (laughs) But when that child can't uh, find the parent, what what does the child do? They search like heaven and earth depends on it. Mom, mom, where are you? Mom. And then if they feel like there's a barrier in between you and them, what do they do? They're knocking. Even if you're on the toilet. Mom. Like they don't care. There's no boundaries for a child who wants something from their parent, right? That is what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, I want you to pursue me when I feel like I'm close. Because sometimes when we pray, God feels close. I want you just to ask. When I feel like I'm far and you have to search for me, I want you to search for me. And when I feel like, you know, when you feel like there's a barrier, like sometimes you, that's true. Like you, you try to pray and it just feels like there's a barrier between you and God. And he says, I want you to knock. I want you to knock with expectancy that I will answer. You see, what Jesus is literally giving us permission to do is to invade God's privacy. And that is one of the privileges that we get as his children. Now, for you, that might not sound very like a big deal. You're like, well, big deal. And the reason that doesn't sound like a big deal to you is because you have a low view of God and a high view of yourself. You think that the whole world revolves around you. So you're like, of course God wants me to invade his privacy. But Jesus' audience that he was speaking to, 
they understood God's grandness. Like they, they, were, they were people who were Jews. They, they understood the scriptures. They understood that God was holy. Like their whole life was built around God being holy and different and greater than them. And so for, for Jesus to give this, this would have like, this would have uh, rubbed them the wrong way. Because he's saying, you have now as the children of God, you have the ability to invade God's privacy. And so what I want you to do, the command is this, ask, seek, knock. It actually could be better translated as keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That's the tense that these words are given in. And so what Jesus means for his people is to be a praying people. Now the church is known for a lot of things, isn't it? but we ought to be known for being a praying people because we have a living God and that living God wants to hear us. It's almost like Jesus is, is saying, I, you know, God is your father and he wants to be found by his children. Like when a parent plays hide and go seek with their child, right? Like I have three kids. I am awesome at hide and seek. I have some mad hide and seek skills. I got a degree in it in college as my first master's. And I, I, I can like hide in a place where they will never find me, ever. It's awesome. But when I play hide and go seek with my kids, what do I do? I like hide behind the curtains so they can see my feet, right? Or I hide under the table, you know, and I like make noise under there because I want them to find me. And God in heaven wants you to find him. He says all over the Old Testament, seek me diligently. I think it's Proverbs 8, 7. Seek me diligently and you will Find me. He wants to be found. So what is stopping you from praying? What is stopping you from seeking? What is stopping you from knocking at God's door? I can think of seven things. There might be more, but I can think of seven, okay? The first one is this. Uh, we, we think our concerns are too small for God. Like, God's out there running the universe. He doesn't really, I don't want to bother him with little old me, you know, my little bills that I'm struggling to pay or this problem I'm having at work. Like he's got more important things to do. That's one reason why we don't go to God in prayer. But Jesus says, see, you can find. Um, the second reason is we're too proud, especially here living in Nevada. Nevada is a hyper individualistic area. Like it's, it's survival of the fittest, it's every man for himself, hyper-individualism. We love being self-made people. And we as a culture tend to look down on people who are needy, right? And so what that means is we don't want to go to God because that would make us look needy. But the very word when Jesus says ask could actually be translated as beg. So what God is saying is when you're going to come to me, I want you to take the approach of a beggar because it's you acknowledging that you really are Either. And you might be like, and one of the ways I think that our pride manifests itself is we say, well, I'm just too busy for prayer. Anybody ever said this? I got so much on my plate. I just, I'm, I know I should pray, but I'm just too busy to pray. Well, a, a, a life that's too busy for prayer is a life that's too proud for God. Martin Luther, we've said this many times from the stage, used to say, I'm too busy not to pray. <laughs> like the more busy you are, the more you need God to show up. And so we should, we, we got to repent of our pride. Another thing that keeps us from going to God in prayer is that we're too lazy. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, 
keep on knocking. That sounds like work. I kind of just want God to show up. I want God to just show up and do good things. And the reason we want that is because we want a butler. We don't want a God. Wouldn't it be nice to have a butler, by the way? Just cleans your house, manages everything, does it all for you. You just show up and it's fine. And that's how sometimes we approach God. We just want him to be our butler. But he's our God. And we need to be seeking him. And sometimes that takes work. But the work is worth it because he is our treasure. There's nothing better than hearing from God. Okay, the, the, next, uh, the fourth reason why I think we don't pray and ask is because we're too theological. We're too theological. We say things like, well, if God has everything already planned in this sovereign universe, you know, like it's already, already designed and nothing I can do can change that, what's the point of prayer? Why even pray if it's already planned out? And you know what? Jesus doesn't solve that mystery for us. He just says, take me at my word and pray because there's things you're missing out on by not praying. And so I don't have an answer for you that fits into your little theological box, but I know that God is bigger than your theological box. The fifth reason why we don't pray, I think, is we're too scared. This came up in my community group. Colton, who was actually playing the drums back here, big old bearded man, he said, I'm sometimes too scared to ask and seek God. Because the word seek here, you have to be thinking when Jesus says seek at another point in the sermon, he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And so he's like, when I seek God and say, God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? That's a scary prayer because sometimes God's going to ask me to be generous in a way I don't want to be generous. To take a risk in a way I don't want to take a risk. Maybe to quit my job and to move and to do something different for my family or for his mission. And that would just be too great of a sacrifice. Therefore, it's just easier not to pray. And that's another reason why. I think a sixth reason why we don't pray is we just have too little faith. We think our prayers are bigger than our God. And so we don't pray because we, we're just, we're, there's things that we even wouldn't comprehend bringing to God because we're like, yeah, that's just, that's a pipe dream. It would never happen. And then lastly, we have too warped a view of God. Um, this world is a horrible place sometimes. Very broken. Relationships suck sometimes. And a lot of us have relationships that have really uh, caused us to be warped in our view of other people. Because we've been wounded, hurt, been a victim. And sometimes we project that on God. We say, if this world is like this, this is what God must be. And so God and Jesus calling us to pray, commanding us, he's commanding us out of all of these reasons. And he's saying, I just want you to trust me at face value and pray. Just ask, seek, knock. Now, what is the motivation for it? The motivation is simple. Jesus gives an illustration in which he says, you can pray and seek God because he is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. So look at verse nine. It says here, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? The answer is, no, none of us would, right? He says in verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is saying basically this, think about yourself. Okay, now I know not all of you are parents in here. Some of you, you've yet to have kids, you're, you know, you're single. And so just imagine if you were to have a child. Some of you are parents and you're in the thick of it. You're raising children right now. Some of you are empty nesters and you're 
You did it. Good job. The kids are out of the house. All right? Good work. Some of you have grandkids. Okay, what I want you to imagine is imagine these kids who you love coming to you and and seeking you as, as somebody who loves them. Imagine that a child comes, your child comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, can, can I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I'm hungry. I want some lunch. Now, around my house, peanut butter and jelly is a staple, just like fish and bread were staples for this community, okay? They come to you and say, peanut butter and jelly. You're not going to say, no, you can't have a peanut butter and jelly. How about a rattlesnake? You're not going to do that. They're asking for something that's life-giving. You're not going to give them something that's life-taking. You're going to give them good because you're a you're a parent who loves your children. Now, what does Jesus say? He says, if you then who are evil. That kind of stings a little bit, doesn't it? Well, why does he say this? Well, as humans, we have lots of different types of categories for people, don't we? We have categories of like, well, there's really holy people. And those are people who like sell everything and go and serve the poor. And they pray a lot. And they're like, use a lot of thys and thous and all that stuff when they talk. Then, we, then there's good people, and that's most of us, right? And then there's, uh, you know, there's bad people, and those are people with good hearts who do bad things. And then there's evil people, and those are people who do really bad things. Like, those are our categories for people, but God doesn't have those categories. He just has two categories, holy and evil, perfect and wicked. So if you're not perfect, guess what that means? What category you fit into? evil. Now, you might say, I'm not evil. Okay, well, evil in here just simply means taking something that's good and twisting it for yourself. You're evil. Because all of us have selfish hearts. All of us seek to view our relationships sometimes as a mean to gain, not a mean to serve. All of us um, sometimes are short-tempered. We have limitations. We have warped desires. We have horrible thoughts. And God sees all of that. And because of that, he says, yeah, you're evil. But guess what he says here? You, though, who are evil, you still know how to give good gifts to your children because you're made in the image of God. Like, you still have the capacity, even though you have warped thoughts and you're selfish and and sometimes you don't want to make sacrifices, you can still give good gifts to your children. How much more your father who is in heaven, who is not warped, who is not selfish, who is not afraid to make sacrifices, who does not have limitations, how much more will he be willing to give good things to those who ask him? He's saying, if you guys can do that, you guys got to trust me, God can do this. And he wants to do this. And so what Jesus is literally doing is he's saying the motivation for you to ask is to believe that God is good and God cares as your father Now, he's calling us to live into our right as children of God. What Jesus came to do is he came to make us children of the living God. And and, and Jesus is saying, because I've come to do this, I want you to pray as a way to live into the privilege of being God's child. Now, that's a special relationship. For example, I love you as your pastor. I love you. I really do. I weep for you. I, I, you know, I want to care for you as much as I can. But I have limits, and our relationship has boundaries, healthy boundaries, I believe. For instance, if you came into my office and you said, uh, you know, you came in on Tuesday and you just said, hey, I need to talk. I had a really disturbing dream. 
can you just give me a glass of water and sit down and talk about it? I'd be glad to on Tuesday. If you called me Tuesday at 3 a.m., and first of all, I wouldn't pick up the phone. But if you kept calling and I picked it up, I'd say, what is it? And I was, is it an emergency? And you'd say, no, I just had this bad dream. I'm wondering if you would get me a glass of water and if you'd sit down and talk with me right now. I would say, no, come to the office tomorrow. But there's four people in my family who have that privilege access to me, my wife and my children. If my child comes to my side and says, dad, I had a disturbing dream. Can I have a glass of water? Can you hold me? And can we talk about it? It doesn't matter how tired I'm in. I'm going to do that because it's my child. And so Jesus is telling us, you need to live into the privilege of being God's child. And, And a child isn't afraid to ask. A child doesn't say, oh, I don't want to wake them up. They're sleeping. When a child wants something, it just goes and asks. Another example of that. If you talk to your boss the same way your child talks to you, you would be unemployed. Right? Like, I know that, you know, we all want to discipline our children and raise them up and treat them to act respectfully, but we tolerate a lot of disrespect as parents. And sometimes we ask them to do something and then they make a request back just boldly. Hey, can you clean your room? Well, can I finish this Netflix show first? Can you go do your chores? Well, can I take a nap first and then do my chores? Imagine if you said that to your boss. I need you to do this project. Can I take a nap first? No, you're fired. I'm going to get somebody else. You see, what God is saying, what Jesus is inviting us into is this wonderful, awesome privilege that through Jesus, you are God's child and you have claimed to talk to God like a child, not like an employee. Sometimes it's easier to view God as your boss than it is to view father. You have the the privilege. This explains some of those confusing prayers in the book of Psalms, where it just seems like the psalmist is just yelling at God. Where are you? You made a promise. You seem to be not following through on your promise. You were supposed to be caring for your people and you're not doing right now there. What the heck? And you could say, how could somebody talk to to God like that? Only somebody who has the confidence that God is their father can talk to God like that. Your children do the same with you. And so this is what Jesus is inviting us into. Now, this is the great mystery of the Christian faith. Um. And for sure, the Jews who were Jesus' original audience, they would have been caught off guard. This would have been a hard theological pill for them to swallow. They had such a high view of God that when they said the word God, or they, they would like, when they wrote the word God, they wouldn't write the whole word. Even today in our English language, if you see a Jew write the word God, what do they write? G-D, because they don't want to bring uh, any tarnish to his name. That's how high the picture is. And in any Jewish literature of prayers, you never see them calling God Abba. And Jesus is giving this sermon in the language of Aramaic. And guess what the word for father in Aramaic is? Abba. It's this word dad. And so this would have been tough for them to swallow. And it's really honestly tough for all of us to swallow because it's this, this intimate relationship. It's this earthy word that we get to call God. So now look at what J.I. Packer says about this. He says, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes 
of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christian very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Packer, he's got a way for words. And what he's saying here is this. If you can't call God Father in prayer, you're not quite getting it. This is the invitation that God is calling you to. And I know that's hard for some of us. And so here's my challenge to you, is to just take this, take Jesus' words and just start going to God with anything as a child would to a parent. Just start doing it and see what God does. Try him on his words, okay? And lastly, here's the result. Here's what you will see. Jesus says in verses seven and eight, he says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And here's the result. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. If you just go to God in this kind of boldness, in this kind of confidence, if you go to God and you're banging on his door and you're pestering him in prayer, you will get your prayers answered. It's very clear. When you ask, you will receive. When you seek him and his kingdom, you will find it. And when you continue to knock, he will answer. The book of James chapter four says it like this. It's gonna be on the screen. It says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight. You do not have because you do not ask. So why is he saying you do not have? Because you don't ask. If you are refusing to ask God for things, if you're not coming to God and seeking him and and pestering him in prayer, it simply means this, you're missing out. There's things that God wants to grant you that you're missing out on. You're missing out. James says you do not have because you do not ask. Now, this reminds me of a story of a friend of ours who used to be a pastor at Living Stones who's now pastoring another church in Galetta, California. His name is Bobby Grassi. One time, Bobby Grassi was driving from Vegas back to Reno and he was driving way too fast and he got pulled over. And when he got pulled over, the officer came up to the door and he said, can I have your license and registration? And Bobby gave it to him and the officer said, do you know why I pulled you over? And he said, yeah, I was driving way too fast. And, and then Bobby said this, can you please just give me grace and not give me a ticket? And the officer went back to his car, looked up his information, sat there for a couple minutes and came back and said, you do not have because you do not ask. I'm not giving you a ticket today. Have a nice day. Go. And Bobby's like, all I had to do was ask. Now, I'm not saying that's a strategy to try every time you get pulled over, all right? (laughs) Probably won't happen. We have Officer Pete back here. He's going to give you a ticket, all right? Uh, the, The simple thing is this. You don't know until you ask. And God is much better than an officer. He's your good father in heaven who loves you and cares for you. If you don't ask, you're missing out. If you don't come to God in prayer, you're missing out. So what are you withholding from God? Okay, now I know what your objection is. You say, does this mean God will always give me everything I ask for? And the answer to that is no. And I think he shows us in this text. And the reason why is he says here, um, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what kind of things to his children? 
good things to those who ask him. God will never give you something, no matter how hard you ask, if it's a harmful thing. He will never give you harmful things. See, sometimes we ask for harmful things. Just like a children asks for silly things sometimes. It's been trick-or-treating. You know, we've been trick-or-treating and uh, we have so much candy. Like it can just fill up our whole kitchen table. And they could literally eat candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every night. And if they ask to do that, guess what I'm going to say? No! I even took a bunch of that candy and brought it to the church so they can't have as much. (laughs) Like... I'm not going to give them something that they think is going to be good for them, but I know as somebody who has more wisdom than they do is going to be harmful. And God is going to do the same with you. So if you come to God and you say, God, I really want this, or I really need this, and he knows something that you don't, which he knows a lot that you don't, he's not going to give it to you if it's harmful for you. Okay? The second thing is God, sometimes we ask for things that are good, but we have a bad heart. Okay, look at the next verse in James that follows that, that last verse. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So sometimes we ask God for good things. But God's like, no, I'm not going to give that to you because you're going to use it to glorify yourself, not to glorify me. And so sometimes God's not going to answer your prayer for that reason. And then lastly, sometimes we ask God for things that are outside of God's better will. And so we ask for good things would you please heal this person? And God says, no. And we don't understand, but what we have to understand is if he says no, it's because it's for his better will. And that is probably the hardest one to swallow. I remember uh, there's a guy in our church who's a leader that I was talking to and he, and he just through tears said, you know what? I've had a hard time in prayer for like the last three years because when we prayed that God would heal my mom and we read these scriptures over her, he didn't. And at that moment, the only thing we have is to finish the story of the Bible and trust that God's better will is better. That, his, that, that even though what we're asking for is good, if he says no, it's because he sees something that we don't. And so the premise of it is, though, is that can sometimes stifle us in our prayer. It can paralyze us because we could say, I don't know. I, am I in the will of God? I don't want to pray anything that's outside the will of God. What does Jesus say? Just ask. Let him determine what's in his will and what's not. You just go to God. You just ask. You just read the scriptures. And you know what? The more you ask, the more you knock, your heart will start to align with his will. You just ask. Let God deal with it. Okay? Now, how can Jesus say this so confidently? He's already established that we're evil. Like, I think that's, that's kind of a contradiction in this passage. On one hand, he's saying God wants to bless you because he's a good father and he's holy and he wants to bless you as his children. And on another hand, you're evil. And what we know from the scriptures is God rewards the righteous, but he punishes the evil. So how can Jesus say this and look these people in, in their eye and through the text look us in the eye with such confidence? And the answer is this is because he knew the price that he was coming to pay. Jesus knows that God punishes evil, but long before the foundation of the world, the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made a commitment to save an evil people, to pay for their sins so that they could be adopted into the family of God as righteous children. And so Jesus can look you in the eye and say this so confidently to you because he knew where he was headed. He was headed to the cross. As an evil person, you deserve to have your prayers ignored and cut off 
But as a righteous person, Jesus deserved to have his prayers answered. But on the cross, what happened? An exchange happened. He took our place so that we could take his. He took our place on the cross and was considered evil. And all of our our faults and mess ups and blemishes and screw ups were laid upon him so that when he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sally Lloyd-Jones says for the first time in the last and all of eternity, Jesus picked up the phone and God didn't answer on the other side. Darkness fell. But why? So that when you pick up the phone and call out to God, he'll answer right away. So Jesus took your place to be cut off so that you could take his place to be considered a righteous son and daughter. And so that's why he can look at you and say, I know the price I'm going to pay. Will you just live like a child? Because this is what I'm going to buy for you. You know, a lot of people have adopted children in our church. And that can be really expensive, sometimes upward of thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. And I know for a fact that then when these parents adopt a child from an orphanage, let's say it's an orphanage across seas, they don't want the child to move into their house and continue acting like an orphan. They prayed the price so they can act like a child. And them maturing in that family means that they will start to act more and more like a child. And that's what it means for you to mature in the Christian faith is to act more and more like a child and not like an orphan because Jesus purchased your adoption. And so what would happen if we actually just asked and became a praying people? I think four things would happen. Number one, we would pray big prayers because we believe God is in heaven and there's nothing too big for God. The Bible is filled with big prayers, not big pears. (laughs) The Garden of Eden probably had some huge pears in it, but not... Okay, the Bible is filled with big prayers. There's a guy named Elijah in the Old Testament in 1 Kings, and he prayed a big prayer. There was all these prophets around, and he wanted, to God, he wanted God to prove that he was the real God, and this false God named Baal was the false God. And so he just basically prayed, God, bring fire down from heaven and show all these people what's up. And guess what God did? Brought fire down from heaven, and he showed everybody what was up. Uh, there's another guy named Nehemiah who found out that the walls around Jerusalem had been broken down so that the worship at the temple couldn't be a safe thing that would happen. And so Nehemiah fasted and prayed for multiple days. And then he went to the king and, and in his prayers, he was asking for God's favor. And he went to the king and asked this king, King Cyrus, to fund the whole thing. And guess what he did? He, he's like, yeah, go back, rebuild the walls, take this time off of work and let me pay for all of it. He wasn't afraid to ask big prayers. And I think if we actually believed this, we as a community wouldn't be afraid to ask big prayers. Reno is the second most unchurched place in the United States. And I'm tired of it. Let's pray that God would cause an awakening. Let's pray that such a movement would happen in this area that historians would be baffled and have to write about it in 30 years. Yeah, the great awakening that happened, you know, starting in 2019. And and it, it just happened in Northern Nevada of all places. Just like Jesus came from Nazareth of all places. (laughs) Like, let's pray that that would happen. Who's that person that you've stopped praying for because you think God will never save them? Pray for them. Do you need money right now? Pray that God will provide. He's the great provider. Are you in a bind and you need to get out of your job right now? Pray that God would provide another opportunity. Have you been unemployed? Pray that God would help you be employed. Are you addicted to something? Pray that God would break the chains. Like, let's pray big prayers. I think one of the reasons we don't experience the living God is because we're too scared to pray big prayers. 
And so, but if we believe this, that God was our father, we'd pray big prayers. If we believed it, secondly, we'd pray small prayers. Jesus commands us, give us this day our daily bread. And the example he uses in this passage is a child coming and asking for a piece of bread and fish, just daily things. And so you really would become, if you believe this, you'd become somebody who's just praying all the time. You'd be thanking God and praying to God and any little thing that you need. You know, even as little as like, God, give me a parking spot. Like, pray little prayers. Because God cares about the little things of life. He really does. Um, Third, we would have thankful hearts. Because we would see how God is answering our prayers more than we think. You know, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. One of the things that is really cool to me is God is revealing himself to us all around. It's, it's not his problem. It's that we're too blind to see it. But when you seek God and you set your mind on praying to him and ask, you start to see God everywhere. And what does that produce in your heart? A more thankful heart. And man, could the church use some thankfulness. We're so critical. We're so grouchy. We're so judgmental. Let's be thankful. And that comes with praying. Comes with praying. And then lastly, we'll be a community that's on fire for God because this is contagious. When you pray for God to do something, when you pray for God to heal and he heals, guess what you're going to pray for a lot more now? Healing for everybody. (laughs) When you pray for God to save the most unlikely person and God does it, guess what you're going to start praying for? Salvation for everybody. You will become addicted and on fire to the glory of God. And the little things that we live for, like entertainment, comfort, suburban life, and travel, will become little treasures compared to the big treasure of the glory of God. And you will be on fire for God. And I'm not talking like 16-year-old on fire because you just went to church camp fire. Like, I'm talking about real genuine fire for God that will last decades because you will see God work. Don't you want to become this kind of people? I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about deep-rooted confidence that God is a God who answers prayers. And the only way that we'll get there is we just ask. And so as we close up the rest of the service, here's my request to you. What have you been not asking God? Today, turn from that and just give it all to him. Pray for those people. Pray for that opportunity. Pray for that provision. Whatever it is, turn to God and just start asking him and wait to see him move. Amen? Amen. Lord, help us. Our faith really is too small. But you, as our Lord, come to us in tenderness and in grace. And you say, seek me and you will find me. God, we don't want to go on wild goose chases where we're just running after you and and there's nothing at the end. We want to find you, God. And we thank you that you've given us the grace of finding you and, and, and this wonderful promise. We just pray that as we come to you with our prayers, that you really would show up and we'd become a community who's on fire for you. In your name we pray, amen.